I want to begin by just uh, once again thanking you um, for allowing our kids to go to camp a couple weeks ago. We were going to show the camp video, but we'll do that at the end of the service. So if you want to stick around after worship and watch uh, the camp video, uh, I invite you to because I really believe it does an amazing thing of showing why we went to camp. It opens up by showing the, be or the kids having fun on the beach, and while we did go, and the kids had a great time on the beach, and the adults had a great time on the beach, as you watch the video, you see what happens during the week. You see it transform from being about being at the beach to what happens in the sessions, and a couple of clips from the speakers are on there, and, and uh, it's amazing to see what God does in students' and adults' lives at camp, and so I want to just say thank you for allowing us to go to camp a few weeks ago. It happens every day, every minute, every hour, every second. It happens in crowds and in solitude. It happens when we're aware of it and when we're unaware of it. The it that I'm talking about is one word, worship. Yes, worship. When people hear the word worship, many things come to mind. Last Sunday night during Fusion, I shared with our youth that I was going to be preaching on passionate worship and Zach Coppinger, one of our junior high kids, said, I don't sing. And isn't that the image that most people associate with the word worship? For most, the first thing that comes to mind is music. They envision people raising their hands, singing at the top of their lungs, and some maybe even crying. For kids who went to camp, it's the image of smoke and lights and worshiping on the beach. For some, worship can even become a barrier between them and God. In some churches, conflict arises over the style of worship, from traditional to contemporary to modern. For many, worship is just simply saw, seen as a worship service style. But worship is much bigger than that. And today, my hope is that we will see worship from a different perspective. And that will enable us to be free to worship God with all that we are. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is on the back of your weekly update, and it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The first thing I want us to see today and to understand today is that we are all worshipers. In the dictionary, worship is defined as reverence offered a divine being or a supernatural power. To worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. When we worship, we show devotion. Whether we can sing or not, we are all worshipers. I would like us to watch a short video that might just give us a glimpse into how we are all worshipers. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. 
It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. I remember the first time I saw that video and I saw the first part and I was like, what a bunch of freaks. Then the rewind happened and I was like, ouch! Hit me right in the heart. But isn't that true? We are all worshipers and there are many things we worship. Some worship sports, some worship food, some worship friends, some worship relationships or status or an achievement. Some worship their job so that they can achieve that promotion. Some worship money. At any given time, we are all worshiping someone or something. The object of our worship are those things to which we give our minds attention in our heart's affection. We are all worshipers, and we worship those things that we're passionate about. Think about how excited you get when you do something that you're really passionate about. For me, it would be Oklahoma State Athletics or my kids' athletics. Whenever I'm going to an OSU game, I can get that nervous excitement in my stomach like I'm getting ready to play myself. As the OSU fight songs start, and the crowd starts chanting and doing the wave and clapping their hands, and then the smoke starts filling the tunnel or the, on down the court, and the flags start waving, I'm ready to go out there and play. Same can be said for when my kids are on the field. When Kaylee's out playing soccer and she's passing or shooting, I'm passing when my feet are shooting. She scores a goal. She's just running back high-fiving her teammates, not me. I'm doing the airplane. I'm taking off my shirt. Maybe not. That'd be kind of scary. But I'm celebrating more than she is. She's taken up golf recently, and I think I get more excited about when she hits a good shot or sinks a big putt than when I do. Not that I ever do it, but I, did, I get excited for her. Cam is the same way. He's back in shotgun formation. I'm reading the defense. Okay, if he does this, they're going to do this. He takes a step. He jukes. I juke. I'm out there on the sidelines as a coach. Everybody's laughing at me. He breaks down the tackle. I'm breaking down to make the tackle. You're sitting there saying, Scott, you're a freak. And yeah, I probably am. But I'm guessing that if I were to follow some of you around, probably all of you, I would find something that in your life you're equally passionate about. What is it that you are so passionate about? So passionate about that it consumes your time, your energy, and oftentimes your money. If we get pumped up and excited about these things on earth, why don't we get that excited or even more excited and pumped up about the things of God, the God of the universe, the God that created all these things, the God we sing these praises to? Here's the vital question. Are those things that we are passionate about in the right place of importance in our lives. 
I want to stop here and clarify that there's nothing wrong with sports or food or going to the lake or anything else that you might love. They become an issue when they become the priority in our lives. They become an issue when they become idols. When I was in Israel back in March, one of my places that we visited was the site of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It was one of the few locations that you could actually still visibly see what it would have been like when Jesus was there. It's just the mountainside. It was beautiful. You can imagine talking to the people. In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, we find the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you as darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's the big part. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this passage, Jesus specifically talks about God and money, but I believe we could put whatever that is in our life that gets in the way of our relationship with God. No one can serve both God and sports. You can't serve both God and the lake. You can't serve both God and your job. Anything that we place more value in, more time in, or more importance on than God becomes our idol of worship, whether we intend for it to or not. I wonder if someone were to look at our calendars, what conclusions they would arrive at concerning our commitments and what we are passionate about. I wonder how much of our time is spent on God things compared to work, family, and the other things on our calendars. We have a perception problem. To many in our culture, Christianity it seems shallow and insincere. It's nothing more than something on Sunday and occasionally maybe one other time during the week. But faith and life are given little thought throughout the rest of the week. When I was in Bartlesville, I had a small group Bible study on a new book that had come out called Unchristian. And it was a book that Barna Research had done all the research for. Uh, and what they did is they interviewed young adults and their perception of the church. Young adults don't think very highly of Christians. When those outside the community of faith look at practicing Christians, they should be able to see something different about us. The decision to follow Christ should show itself in, in the way we live every day and in everything we do. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. These verses communicate commitment. Jim Wallace in his book, The Call to Conversion, says, We have forgotten that we are God's people, and we have fallen into the worship of American gods. Now God's word to us is to return. Church historians may someday describe our period as the American captivity of the church. It has no less than real than the Babylonian captivity in the history of Israel. Trapped in our false worship, we no longer experience the freedom that is our birthright in Jesus Christ. So our first point is, is that we are all worshipers. The second point is we worship that which we are passionate about. The third point I'd like to share with you is that worship is important to God. 
This may seem pretty obvious to us since we're in church, but let's look at what Scripture says. Three of the Ten Commandments are about worship. Exodus 20, verse 3. Do not worship any god except me. That's one. Exodus 20, verse 4. Do not make idols that look like anything in the sky or on earth or in the ocean or under the earth. Don't bow down and worship idols. I am the Lord your God, and I demand your love. That's two. And Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day belongs to me. Three of the Ten Commandments about worship and how God should be our number one focus. Jesus himself helps us understand how important worship is when he's tempted by the devil in the desert. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, the devil took Jesus up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and all his power, all their power. The devil said, I will give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scriptures say, worship, your Lord, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus understood that God deserves our worship. He knew it wasn't a subject even up for debate. He, there was no com- conflict there. For him, he knew it was all about God. One year at Big Stuff, the speaker shared a story about an experience he had had earlier uh, that year. Jared Hurd, the speaker, had grown up in California, and he was all his liquor. A friend of his had grown up on a dude ranch and had invited Jared to come to his dad's dude ranch in Colorado. Basically, they would horseback ride and and camp overnight in the mountains. Sounds like a fun thing. So being the adventurous California guy that Jared was, he said, sure, why not? So Jared gets to the dude ranch, and the first thing he has to do is to go pick out his horse. So he walks into the barn and with no clue how to pick out a horse. I mean, is it like a fruit? Do you poke it? Is it like a car? You look for the one that looks so fast? Well, no. So the first horse that Jared picks out is pregnant. Considering he had been around pregnant women several times in his life, he decided that probably wasn't the best horse to choose. As he's standing there in the barn, he hears his scratching and clawing and all this noise coming from the back of the barn. So he walks back and he sees this horse. This horse as a man's horse. It's big and strong and even has a manly name. He decides, that's my horse. So he grabs the saddle and starts to saddle up. As he's doing this, Jared comes to the conclusion that this is the devil horse. It has crazy eyes and hair going everywhere. Finally, he gets it all saddled up and gets on and struts out of the barn to join the others. It doesn't take long for him to discover that it's going to be a long few days. This horse has made it his mission to throw Jared off every opportunity he gets. The next day, the leader of the group tells everybody to go water their horses and watch a five-minute thing turns into a 20-minute ordeal as Jared's horse decides to chase a wild boar. He attempts to discipline the horse over the next few days, but nothing seems to work. On the last day of the, of the trip, after he's been thrown around like a rag doll for three or four days on the back of this horse, he gets off the horse, frustrated and angry, as the leader of the group rides up. The leader asks why he's so upset, to which Jared responds, This horse is crazy. This horse is insane. The problem is this horse. I can't take any more. The leader processes what he said and then then makes this comment. The problem isn't that the horse is crazy. The problem is that the horse is a horse. Then the leader asks Jared if he's ever been to a zoo and seen a horse, to which Jared responds in a tone 
that is, I can't believe you just asked me that, yes. The leader of the trip then explains why he's asked this question. The horses you see in a zoo are tame. They're caged. But they weren't created to be like that. They were created to run free. They were created to be wild animals. That is the way they were designed. It's how they're supposed to live. Instead of trying to get your horse to behave, why don't you just let him run free and do what he was created to do and be what he was designed to be? Jared figures he's tried everything else, so he might as well get this try, give this a try. So he mounts up on the horse, gives a slight kick, and holds on for dear life. He lets the horse go, and it was like secretariat racing down the mountain. Whoosh! Now you're sitting there saying, Scott, that's a great story, but we're not horses. But this story illustrates our final point. We were created with a purpose. Before Kaylee or Camden step onto a sports field, I tell them they were born for this. I want them to understand that they were supposed to be there. Obviously, they're born for even more, and God has amazing plans for them. But for that specific moment, I want them to understand that they were there for a purpose. We were designed to worship and praise God. Music is only part of our worship that we bring to God. God designed us in a very unique way. He created us to worship, thus we are worshipers by nature. It's in our DNA to give praise, honor, attention, affection, focus, and intentional fallings to things outside of ourselves. We cannot avoid it. Just like we cannot avoid, we cannot avoid breathing or having blood circulate through our bodies. When we cease to worship, we cease to be alive. You were designed by God for a purpose, and that purpose is to worship and bring glory and relate to Him. In the scripture I read from Romans, Paul says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying that we should live our lives in such a way that our lives are our ultimate expression of the worship we bring to God. In the song that the worship band sang entitled, No One Higher, there's a line in that song that I think captures this. Let my life forever praise the glory of your name. Let my life forever praise, not let my song forever praise, not let my voice forever praise, but let my life forever praise. Everything that I am, praise you are, God. Worship isn't just a place we go. Worship isn't just the songs we sing. Worship be, should be our lives pointing others to Christ. I begin this message by talking about when people hear the word worship, they most often think of music. In music, we have this thing called rhythm. Do you know what rhythm really is? I I'm not really a musical guy. I mean, I like to sing. But rhythm is not just about the drums. It's not just about Elias and his great rhythm. The word worship and worship itself in music is when everything comes together as it should and works perfectly. It's when the voices and the strings and the percussion and the keyboard and everything comes together to make the sound that it was created to make. And any time you hear something that is out of whack or sounds bad, it's when you notice that it's not in rhythm. When some people sing, you hear something that is not in rhythm. When you see me dance, you see something that is not in rhythm. 
It was not designed to be that way. But when things are the way that God designed them to be, that is when they are in rhythm. When God is the number one priority in our lives, and we are worshiping with our lives, we are in rhythm with Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. May our lives be our greatest form of worship. Let's pray. Lord, I must confess that there are times in my life that things that are not necessarily the most important things, but I am passionate about, become the most important things in my life. They take the place of where you should be in my life. And Lord, I just pray you'll forgive me for that. God, my prayers for every person here that you will help us to make our lives the ultimate worship to you. That everything we do will point to you that in turn, others will see something different about us and want to know what that is. May our lives forever bring glory to your name. In your name, amen.